Captain's Log, Supplemental. I'll say one thing for Q. It really is amazing to have the raw, dry cleaning power to whisk away hot chocolate stains. That would have definite advantages. Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to a sci-fi show we all have a very strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. We re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective. I'm very excited to talk about episode 16 of season two, Q Who, with my very wonderful cultural bridge crew. We'll get to them in a second. I want to first welcome our very special guest, Aliza Pearl. She is an actress, writer, gamer extraordinaire, uh, and we're very happy to have you. Oh my goodness, it's so exciting to be here talking about Star Trek with cool people. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode in particular, what a what a there's so many things that happen in this. I can't wait to get to it. Yes. Yes. Um, but you, uh, real quick, what what is your connection with uh, with Star Trek and and Star Trek: The Next Generation in particular? Yeah. So um, I was a little kid when it was on TV, and I don't I remember watching some episodes live, but I don't remember which ones. And it was mostly in Florida. I grew up in New Jersey, but we would spend every summer in Florida, and it was the one TV show my very crunchy hippie vegan aunt and uncle would let us watch on TV. Oh, nice. So that's those are my like kid memories of TNG. Um, but then, as an adult, I came back to it, and I had been watching like you know those like 11 p.m. episodes of the original series to fall asleep to throughout my 20s and college and stuff. But then. At some point in my career out here in L.A. as an actor, I just got really kind of like creatively unfulfilled. I was like working mm. in commercials a lot, which thank th so thankful for that work. Financially, it was great. I got a health insurance through it. Um, but it felt like really creatively unfulfilling. Mm. And so I was like, what can I do to reconnect with my interest, with the things that make me excited creatively and just in the world? And so I started taking improv classes and then I also started going to NASA JPL events and other like space related things because I was obsessed with space as a kid. Nice. And then the third thing I did was I started a, a full rewatch chronological of Star Trek. And that led me to starting to go to events, starting like joined my local Starfleet uh, volunteer chapter. I started going to it was literally like a wormhole. Like I just like started going to conventions, started cosplaying. I just went so hard, so fast. And that that's that's my trekkiness. I just kind of had like a renaissance of trekkiness as an adult. I love that. I love your, uh, yeah, your so cosplay cool. so much. Congratulations. Yeah. Elisa, what was your cosplay? Like, what characters have you done? Okay, so the first big one that I've done was Guinan. Uh, yeah, nice. And, yeah, I didn't build it myself. I actually hired someone to build it, and <laughs> she was amazing. Actually, I had, oh, like... Oh, that's cool. Um, there's also actually there's a lot more to my story and but i will try to pare it down because i have a lot of star trek stuff to talk about i'll just <laughs> tell you that like yeah. a little bit of it um another thing that also like dovetailed with the cosplay was that i met another trekkie on set for like a pilot presentation it was a friend's independent pilot presentation we were shooting he was i think he, was, was he a grip or it was a very small production, but I think he was like either a grip or assisting the cameraman in some way. Mm -hmm. And he was like, all right, everybody set your, what did he say? 
set your tricorders to silent or set your phasers to silent. He said something very tricky to say, like, turn your phones off. We're about to start rolling. And I was like, hey, tricky. <laughs> <laughs> and so at lunch, we, I sat with him and I was like, hey, I heard you say a Star Trek thing. You're a Trekkie. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. And so we started talking about it. And we decided to write a Guinan prequel story together. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we wrote it. It's we took years and years just kind of like going back and forth with different drafts and different ideas. And we've had it for a long time now, an embarrassingly long amount of time ago <laughs> we wrote this thing and showed it to a few people. But yeah, that was another trekky offshoot of me kind of having this renaissance of creativity because I was watching a lot of Star Trek. I was like, Guinan has a lot of stories to tell. Like, I want to help tell those stories. I want to know where she came from. What's her deal? How did she meet Q? And so, yeah. So much of that is in this episode, too. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. this is where all that world building is. Uh, this must have been your uh, number one document to go to. Oh, right? yeah, totally. This episode, we went back to this episode many times to just mine it for ideas and inspiration for how the two, how the, what their relationship was, how it started, how it got bad, and then how they split. That's amazing. Yeah. I have all those same questions. So now I want to I want to read this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're going to basically our plan is to watch Picard and see how they bring Guinan and Q back in. Yeah. And then if our story still works, we'll start pitching it around again. And if it doesn't, we'll rewrite it and pitch it around again anyway, because we really want to write a Guinan prequel story. So we're like, however, we can make it happen. Nice. Willing it into the universe. I, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, let me uh, introduce you to the rest of our uh, panel here. Uh, Mr. Eric Grattan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? I, of course, remembered this episode so much, but it, what struck me again this time through is how many of, I assume, all of our favorite actors throughout kind of uh, genre and time period in this one really hit their strides in their signature roles that we all know them best in. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I can't wait to talk more about it. Me too. Me too. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? I'm doing just swell. Thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, despite this episode having very little Wesley Crusher, uh, <laughs> it is still a fantastic fucking episode. And uh, I got, I got uh, chills the first time um, the the cube came on board. So I, 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 I'm, I'm stoked to talk about it. Me too. Me too. Jimmy G, you are basically surrounded by Borg cubes in our little Zoom right here. We are surrounded and we are fine with it. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this. Let's crack it open. Let's, let's get to it. Let's do it. All right. So this episode uh, was Q, Hugh, Hugh. Uh, we'll get to that later and other things. It started 42761.3. It was broadcast first on May 8th, 1989. Uh, there was a lot going on in the world, like there always is uh, as we go through all of these episodes. But uh, some things that you may remember, there's the ongoing protests in Tiananmen Square in Beijing right now, uh, still going on. We haven't reached uh, quite the boiling point yet, uh, but tensions are mounting and press is, start to, uh, is starting to write some pro-protester uh, stories. Uh, and then that is not going to end well. I'll just say that. We'll get to it in subsequent episodes. Uh, but then on May 7th, the day before this episode air, uh, Panama voted to reject director Manuel, uh, dictator uh, Manuel Noriega's bid for presidency. Uh, and then a couple of days later, he nullifies the election. And in, on May 11th is when George H.W. Bush sent 2,000 troops to Panama 
to uh, to basically depose him. Uh, so all of that is happening within uh, the few days surrounding the broadcast of this episode. And I remember watching the live footage of uh, what was happening in Panama uh, when I was uh, 11 years old. Oh, no, that uh, fed into my nightmares for sure. Like, I remember the, the what do you call it, news coverage of that just being relentless. Uh, definitely added to my fodder. Yeah, absolutely. What were you going to say, Eric? I was going to say, I remember that was one of the first times they talked about using heavy metal music to get someone to come out of a, of a building. Uh, and just seeing the direction that uh, showdowns like that were, were likely to have for the next few years. I, I, I wow. forgot that detail, but as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, right, I do remember them playing. Like, yeah. American music is playing as loud as it can. Come well, out no, but I mean, got... like... <laughs> early use of the weapons grade loud yeah you know? wow yeah. i had no i literally this is my, the first time i'm hearing this i had no idea <laughs> about the music or about uh noriega well i didn't i mean yeah i i don't know much about noriega um but i definitely i didn't hear about the music thing for sure yeah. like that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> now i'm gonna have to just uh, Google it again very surreptitiously right here. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd love yeah. to know more about that. Um, my memories of that time was being a little kid. Uh, I was not aware of the world around me. I <laughs> I didn't find out also about the Tiananmen Square stuff until I was in college and I started studying Chinese lit and culture and language. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I was in a bit of a bubble. <laughs> I was obsessed with... Well, actually, I looked it up, and it hadn't happened yet, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and The Little Mermaid came out in 1989, but Ooh. not yet. So Ooh. I was not yet obsessed with those movies, but I will have, I will be soon. <laughs> <laughs> you will have been. I, like I will that. have been, especially The Little Mermaid. Obsessed. Obsessed. We all were. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Kate, that's a good segue into what was happening in pop culture land around this time. Yes, yes. Uh, like a Prayer stays on top as the song to beat. Uh, soon we will get a new song, I swear. Uh, Pet Cemetery <laughs> uh, uh, also stays on the top of the charts. Um, although that week, Return of the Swamp Thing, starring Heather Locklear, is uh, released. Hmm. A classic in its own right. <laughs> uh, on TV, Family Ties was the number one show that week, um, and they aired their final final episode um what? and really? that was a week full of final episodes um moonlighting aired their final episode and dynasty aired their 217th holy and final moly. episode wow so it was a what big a week. week of closure yeah mm -hmm. and then our friend our friend john tesh too Right? Running the gambit from, uh, uh, well, yes, uh, Entertainment Tonight performed their 2000th television episode. So there was something that was burgeoning and, and still growing while everything else around it died. <laughs> <laughs> I think John Tesh is still growing. How big is that guy? <laughs> the head. His head. We have some great births <laughs> that week. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Cam Newton, and Ron Gronkowski were all born oh. that week. Oh, wow. Gronk. Wow. Good for him. <laughs> Good for <laughs> him. Yeah, I guess he was born at that. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to uh, Jimmy. I mean, this episode uh, was written by Maurice Hurley and directed by Rob Bowman, two veterans uh, of the series so far. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, 
This was uh, Bowman's or Hurley's long-awaited intro of the Borg. If you remember, this was supposed to happen uh, in the Neutral Zone episode. They hinted towards it, uh, but the Borg didn't quite make it in. And Hurley, for a long time, had been really disappointed with her Frankie. Uh, and he has a great, great quote. Uh, he said, uh, "Is somebody who's really interested in gold isn't much of a threat because we can replicate gold for them." <laughs> So they didn't bring much to the table. Uh, also interesting was the Borg, the concept for the Borg originally was they evolved from a race of insects. Uh, this was abandoned due to budgetary concerns. And I just want, to, want you to keep in mind when we talk about the costumes for the Borg that this set or this uh, budget went over by $50,000 <laughs> because of those costumes. Uh, and they had a cut an eighth day of shooting uh, because of that $50,000. Wow. Um, and uh, Dan Curry and Ron Moore, uh, who was associated and became actually one of the big names in Star Trek universe as a producer later on, uh, they both got an Emmy nomination uh, for their efforts in bringing the Borg Cube to life. Hmm. Um, and it's rumored that uh, Star Starfleet or Starlight productions i can't remember the effects company that actually built it um used a lot of spare um uh, uh model parts to make mm -hmm. those the parts after you take all the pieces out and the, that's left over use that yeah. uh pieces of that to give the aesthetic of the outside of the board ship. but we'll talk a little bit more about that that later when uh, when it shows up you can totally see that. Like, it's the stuff you pop out after you are about to play, like, Axis and Arrows right. or something like that. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, those little things left over. <laughs> totally. The things you step on late at night <laughs> on your carpet. Yeah. <laughs> Not as bad as a D4, but it's close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric, tell Nerd. us about uh, yeah. some of the fun uh, guest stars in this episode. Well, I shall. Um, <laughs> I think we got to... <laughs> I think we have to start with uh, the actor who played Ensign's, uh, I think they went Sonia, right? When they said it out loud, Sonia Gomez. And that was Licia Naff is her name. And uh, among other things, uh, what comes up very early uh, in researching uh, her career is that she started out as a dancer, uh, was on the Fame TV series, and then did a bunch of uh, uh, dance work through the 80s and uh recurring on things like um, St. Elsewhere and Hunter and had a really pretty good on-screen career. Her most memorable roles are this and Mary, uh, the, the very famous prostitute with three breasts on Total Recall, which she was really, really freaked out to, to play. She got to set and uh, had had the whole experience and then felt like an overwhelming shame reaction. Oh, and, oh. And she she came she came to terms with it certainly, but her mm. her experience on set was was not as good as we would hope, being such an iconic character. Bodhisattva. Um, <laughs> that um, tough. And sorry, and, I said poor thing in Spanish. Oh, <laughs> Just turned into you. my mom. Yeah, I, no, I mean context clues. I, I got she that. seemed well, and what's what's awesome too? She she stopped. Um, acting uh, uh, about 20 years ago, I guess, and has been a very successful uh, investigative journalist since then, in including she was the um, writer who ultimately broke the final wave of uh, Cosby um, survivor stories. Wow. And she she's really impressive if you go and find uh, 
some of the interviews with her. It's a, it's a really interesting life and career that she's had. What a dope um, lady. Yeah. I mean, sincerely. And then um, you move forward. And when we get to the Borg, I'll talk a little bit more specifically about one of the most interesting uh, people we've had on screen uh, so far in the series. Oh, I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we've talked about John Delancey uh, previously. Uh, his work yes. is amazing. And, and uh, I think... Uh, God, this episode is one of the best, so we'll get to it. Uh, so it is a pretty interesting cold open. Uh, Selena Gomez figures pretty prominently in this, talking to the Forge. We get a nice slice Sonia. of... Sonia. Uh, Sonia. Sonia. Yes. Sonia. 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 I'm just going to say... S- that's Selena's descendant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the first time we've actually seen her, though. She appeared in a previous episode very briefly, right? Uh, no, I think this is the first. I think it's she's next. She's in the next yeah. episode. Oh. Yeah, that's the last time we see her. Uh, okay, um, that is, and then she uh, runs into uh, Captain Picard. Go ahead, Kate. I have questions about this because they have her coming in just hot, hot. Uh, and a million miles an hour right from the beginning. And to me, it was like they were trying to set her up. I wonder uh, what the behind the scenes is as uh, you know a foil for. Uh, for Jordy, a uh, potential love interest, uh, or to me, in my brain, I was like, "Oh, is she gonna die at the end?" Like we, <laughs> mm-hmm. like that they don't push you this far on knowing a character this intimately that quickly, unless there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, she felt up Jean Luc Picard when she spilled <laughs> that hot chocolate on him. Oh Let yes, it be noted. Let yes, it be noted. I saw that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's all over you. Oh, 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 it's, oh it's no, all over you. Captain. Do you work out, Captain? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, And then uh, what what do you guys think about her reaction as well as the fact that uh, it feels like Jordy here was trying to get, a, as you said, a love interest. It's the long line of him not not being able to really uh, end up having finding love on this series. Yeah, I totally agree that it seems like she was set up for something and then they just didn't keep bringing her back, unfortunately. Um, but what's it's so what's so glaring now watching this and rewatching it so many times as an adult is how rude Jordy is to her. And it's like that's not a way to actually like start a, a love interest, even like on a professional level. Um, but but there's that whole, I guess, that hot that heat idea, like people who bump heads at first in TV shows might mm. eventually become <laughs> become love interests and in real life to some extent. So maybe that's what they were going for. But it felt like it either didn't go far enough in that or it was like um, it just kind of it doesn't it, didn't, it felt it felt flat. I kind of wish yeah. they had just introduced her to be her own recurring girl and not be like a love interest to Jordy. Or maybe let let her be established first and then become a love interest. Because that halfway thing just kind of didn't work. Yeah. And the whole antagonists becoming friends. I mean, Moonlighting ended this week. It's over. (laughs) You can't use that trope again, ever. You can't use it. You got to wait another 25 years and then use it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it it wasn't until... There's a later scene where where, where Gomez and uh, Wesley are in the same thing. And it wasn't until that scene where I really realized, oh, wait, she's basically just a female version of Wesley. Like the, like, plucky... Mm-hmm. over over wanting to over please but is you know really good at their job and i was like i don't know if i necessarily needed that 
again uh, uh, for for this character. I wish they I chose something, uh, you know, some more different themes to work on. Uh, for, yeah, for something I think, like this. Yeah, it's. I feel like there's like some good, interesting stuff that they just. Yeah, they. I wish they had given her a little bit more because she yeah. had the 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 bones for something that could have been different from that. Um, also, there are so few like Latina or Latinx at all characters that were recurring or came back in a in a significant way on TNG. So it would have been nice to have her stick around for longer. Yeah, I think she's the first. Yeah, she was a nice setup, I thought, though, for um, like the whole love interest thing is maybe that's what she was there for. I, I, I don't know if it's implicit, but it was a nice setup knowing where the episode was going to have a character who was bungling and it, it sort of set up like anything, any day something can go sideways, even when you think you're going to have some yucks after somebody spills coffee on the captain. You know, it was like, it was just a nice playing the opposite. Well, and as someone who is clumsy and like to think of myself as smart and has somehow grown up to be a physical comedian, like I love it when characters are capable in in all other aspects of life and yet are clumsy as hell and i i find that super interesting as an audience member so i really enjoyed at least this part of the character but i would have liked to have seen her gone further too what did you think of the stunt of her actually spilling the 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 coffee i thought that there was a very conspicuous edit right beforehand i was like <laughs> oh, i don't think they nailed it in performance they had to edit around it i mean i i don't it, it worked fine for me i i think it is likely that um, they didn't have a whole lot of extra time on this particular very, very busy episode to spend much time on it. So I'll, I'll buy that. I'm very embarrassed, though, that whole time that he's wet uh, and Jordy's trying to take the blame. Not really. It's not really working for any of the characters in there. I definitely felt it when I was watching. I'm like, um, and then uh, Picard leaves. He's like, no, I'm just going to go change my uniform. He doesn't have the power of, of dry cleaning quite yet. Um, and then he gets uh, very quickly abducted mystically onto a shuttlecraft. And we get that great reveal of who is on the shuttlecraft. It's our buddy Q. Did you guys remember this uh, reveal when you were rewatching? I mean, obviously, it's the name of the, the episode. So you knew Q was going to be popping up. But I, I had forgotten exactly how he was revealed. And I just love the, like, the turn that he does. <laughs> <laughs> so great such 80s television that turned yeah. <laughs> it's very satisfying and I, you know every time that that happens in a show that i really love i'm like okay i i want to think that they knew that it was a trope at the time and we're just so far ahead of it that they were already meta <laughs> i'm like i don't know maybe they just kind of this is how we do it in the 80s who knows yeah um, that's a I never thought but of I that mean, one. they are, they were smart and funny. So who knows? They might've even been like, Oh, remember that thing? Yeah. We got to do that thing now. So they really lean into it. But you know, Delancey at least is very funny doing that. Mm -hmm. So then Picard tells him that, uh, you know, you told, you promised never to bother my ship again. And that's where we realize that they're in the middle of nowhere. It's end of cold open roll credits. I loved that. The next scene though, is a very tense synth, uh, background while uh, Guinan is tending ten forward. Uh, I felt that tension. Uh, so yeah, Aliza, uh, what did you think of, of of this scene? Yeah, I, God, I just love Guinan being the antenna for weird stuff. 
because she does it multiple times on this series. She's the beacon. She is the canary in a coal mine. Mm. Um, and so you know some stuff is going to go down when Guinan's spidey senses are tingling. <laughs> um, super exciting moment. And yeah, that synth music underneath it is just like, oh, God. It just is such a great example of how scoring can bring so much uh, to a scene and just really like nail it. Agreed. I have to say, though, that this 10 forward scene rings as false to me because Pulaski is nowhere to be seen in 10 forward. (laughs) (laughs) And we know that when Pulaski is not in sick bay, she is in 10 forward. (laughs) Where was she? There must have been an uptick in Valerian flu. <laughs> She's making her soup. Uh, also, I mean, they're already fifty thousand over, so they couldn't afford an a- another very special guest star. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she calls the bridge, uh, and I love that Riker is like, "I don't think mm-hmm. I ever remember you calling the bridge before, Guinan. What's up?" Yeah, directly to the bridge. I like the the place that she holds, though, in that there's no question of like, how dare you call the bridge or mm-hmm. like that, that this is not protocol. Um, it's, it's, you know, like, Oh my, Oh my God, guy calling. Something must be happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I started to really think about that later on when she goes to her office, but um, it's really neat too, to see that the rest of the crew treats her like that when you already knew she and captain had that relationship, but to see the rest of the crew kind of snap to and go, Oh, Yes, please. What's up? Mm-hmm. Although Riker, hmm, he he doesn't always listen to Guinan in this episode, so he doesn't get brownie points. Neither does Picard. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. But good thing they didn't, or we would lose some good scenes. <laughs> I know it's that's the that's the dilemma, right? Like if they had been like, "Yep, we're gonna go straight home," then right. we wouldn't have an episode here. Show's over. Mm-hmm. I like shows where people get along. Me too. Yeah. And they still get along. It's just, you know, um, yeah, it's, that's, you know, we, uh, so I'm also on women at warp, which is another, um, Star Trek podcast. And we did a Guinan revisited episode recently, me and Kennedy Allen. And we talked about how it's kind of frustrating as black women to watch Guinan just kind of like, bring all this experience and knowledge and wisdom and then like 75 to 85% of it is ignored. And it's like, but it's, it's a very real experience too. It's like, you know, you, you bring a lot of information to people, but they kind of have to experience stuff themselves. Um, it, it, so it's like, it's bittersweet to watch that and to be like, literally, this is, (laughs) this is the black female experience. Uh, (laughs) so yeah. Well, at least Jordy pays attention too. Like in this scene, he's there with Gomez, uh, trying to commiserate with what happened. But she—he's paying attention. He's like, "Hold on, there's something up. Guinan doesn't look right." Uh, and I like that. You know, as you're saying, he's she's this antenna that everyone's like, "Wait a second, if if, if she's nervous, there we should all be nervous." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So they rush off uh, and go to check on what's going on in engineering. We go back to the shuttlecraft um, and Picard is trying to figure out what to do here. I love, I don't think he's doing it quite yet, but I do love the act of Q bouncing the ball against the wall and the, and the floor. It's just something I did literally during this time uh, when I was a kid. And so it was very much like uh, he's just this, 
petulant younger brother uh, character that really comes through here as he's trying to push the older brother of, of Picard's buttons uh, and, and, and get him to do what he wants. Well, and you start to wonder, you know, is that a literal universal experience of gravity and ha- and and experimenting with mm. balls and bouncing or did he do human research and somehow ended up seeing the great escape or did he pull it out <laughs> of somebody's head or you know it, it, those little tangents it sends you on is is super fun when it's a choice like that that an actor or a writer has made for this situation all right. Well, then, uh, Counselor Troy is then uh, starting to be worried about what's going on with with uh, uh, the situation. They realize that there's their Picard's not on board. There's a shuttlecraft missing from the shuttle bay, and so uh, the entire crew starts to be like, "What's what's happening here? Something's going on." All stop and uh, let, let's find out what's going on. Wesley loses his shit. <laughs> I know. Oh <laughs> I like Riker. Take it easy, Wes. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah. When when Wesley is all of us in that moment, let's mm-hmm. be clear. We're mm-hmm. all frightened. We want to know where Picard is. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> this shouldn't have happened. I'm like, yeah, take it easy, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point of the show. <laughs> take it easy, guys. Things uh, happen here. <laughs> we do get a first officer's log, uh, which we we don't get too often, but Riker does talk through what's trying to they're, they're trying to find uh picard we get some passage of time happening here um and then we go back to the shuttlecraft uh and uh picard basically is like all right what do we need to do here to to move this plot forward i feel like he's the the instigator of a of a, of a role-playing game being played here he's like, okay let's let's go on to the next uh step here and boom they're back and uh in in 10 forward i feel like it's interesting again you have these two actors who are extraordinarily expressive and they're not given a whole lot of dialogue in between Picard saying, you'll never get anything out of me and then screaming all of the emotions out of himself and and allowing himself to agree with Q. And I, I, I think it's all there that the captain is smart enough to know that a few days doesn't matter to Q who's been around for thousands of years. And then in a few days, Picard's going to, say yes in order to survive to fight Q wherever else so it just moves right along and I went right along with that very quick transition hmm. Yeah, me too <laughs> thanks Jimmy <laughs> moving right I, along I love that moment in 10 forward too where yeah. uh, Q is like in the rafters for one thing which is like he spends a lot of time molding himself around the lines of the ship in this episode and I'm mm. living for every moment that he does he drapes himself so naturally around all of the curves uh, as we go on but the fact that the first person we see is Guinan the way she pops up from underneath that, you know, from behind. Worst intro ever. She's like, what are those olives, those extra olives? <laughs> that would have been better. I would have loved that before the, before the well, like, What was she doing gone. down there? She, she must have been looking for up. olives, right? She was looking oh. for like da- mar- yeah, maraschino oh, sure. cherries. She was doing her <laughs> side work. Exactly. She was like <laughs> refilling salt shakers. <laughs> Marrying the ketchups. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yep. we didn't, Guinan might have something like uh, Odo's bucket. We don't know what, what Guinan's <laughs> natural form is at this point. We don't. We don't because that's, yeah, that's uh, one of the first things we see here is that they recognize each other, Q mm-hmm. and Guinan. Uh, and 
once the name is said, Q is like, oh, is that what you're calling yourself now? And I love all of that in a line. You get that there is so much history and it's, it's amazing. And now I want your, your, your story, uh, Aliza. So where's your head cannon at? Oh goodness. With well, I, um, I'm, I won't reveal too much just in case our, our like <laughs> series that we wrote actually ever gets made someday and it stays, um, the way it is. But my, well, what I thought when I saw it, rewatched it as an adult, was first of all, what is this hand motion she's doing? Yes. The hand claw things. He like lifts one hand to her and then she in response lifts both hands in it like a claw motion. So I was like, she has some type of power that rivals, mm -hmm. not rivals, well, I don't know, maybe it rivals his, but it can at least um, defend against him and maybe even harm him. And that's why he is so freaked out by her. Mm. Um, and just that whole, their whole back and forth right there. You're right. There's like centuries of history in those like few lines. And it's really well done, first of all, really well written, well acted. And it just, I, I just don't understand why we didn't get more stories between them. <laughs> what was well, it? Because history? Libby Goldberg was too big of a star to <laughs> devote herself to following that. But she was on the show. I mean, like she was there. So yeah, in between movies, yeah, she could. They could have used her more. You know, if they Everybody had full agree. Her. I think full like agree. if they had given her an ep. Oh, well, she did have later. She did have like you know, uh, I what was it called? Iborg, mm -hmm. or yeah, Iborg and and uh, Measure of a Man. She did have some like really great like standout episodes where she was like a big player there. But like nothing that harkens back to her history. Her history. Yeah, so. Right. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, that scene, this scene in particular is so juicy. So I juicy. love, uh, they call each other names and the, the word imp gets used at some mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And it made me think of like, oh, right, it's Robin Goodfellow. Like this is mm. like, it, it made both, both of them make sense, but, but, all, but particularly Q with that like puckish, um, sort of like I serve the fairy queen, but really I serve myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just it, it opened up a little. Uh, I agree with you. I want to know the backstory on them. Mm -hmm. See, for me, Imp went right to uh, Mister Mixelplick and and uh, Batmite from from DC, mm. who are these all powerful, ridiculous characters that interact exactly the way these two do and have mm -hmm. moments like these two do where they talk about humans as if they're not in the room mm. and you know you have one defending and one you know it's mm. man and superman by george bernard shaw you have all these uh, things all throughout history of these stories where the gods talk about you as if you're not here and it's great oh, God. <laughs> it's like uh, talking about an ant in the room yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they, they you're right and they almost kind of ignore the humans for a moment they're just like oh we don't care about them let's have our little tete-a-tete -tete first I love yeah that. and it's cool because you you we know from what Guinan says in this episode she wasn't anywhere around her home world when the q destroyed it and yet they met at some point so there's definitely a story of she wasn't there why wasn't she there and then did she go looking for Q afterwards for revenge or did they just happen to bump into each other? Uh, because she wouldn't have gotten the bumped into him when the Q destroyed her homeworld because she wasn't oh. hanging around. Well, it was so, the Borg that it was the Borg. The Borg I mean, I'm sorry, the Borg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't know if I had a point. So <laughs> your your headcanon there maybe is that uh, Q and their misadventures with Guinan uh, may have saved her from being destroyed by the by the board. Mm. We'll see. Um, well, and I went I went a little bit back to how powerful she is and how if her entire system was that powerful, how could it have fallen so easily to the Borg? And I'm like, well, it wasn't. She's one of the mm -hmm. powerful beings in her system mm -hmm. and she was gone and it fell to the Borg and she feels guilt for that mm -hmm. as much as anything uh... else. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah. so good. That's my theory too, that she is unique. She yeah. has a unique power. But I mean, Alorians, their power is not something that would rival a Q, but they do have like um, a very like unstated or even understated power of suggestion or, you know, she's she's like a listener, she says, you know, she listens to people. And then the other cues we've seen in the franchise, some of them are con men. Some of them are just like really good at getting in like the inner workings of other people. So they do have some type of power, but not like she does. She also has like time sensing. She can sense, remember like in, mm -hmm. um, have you, wait, is, has that episode happened yet? Yesterday's Enterprise? No, no, no. okay. Well, no, yeah, we'll, we'll see in the future. We've mentioned it too. But Lisa, okay. are there other Alorians? Have we met other mm -hmm. people of her race? Who are they? So in, okay, so in Voyager, we meet some, the con man one, I don't remember his name. We also meet some kids, like Teenage Q, maybe also in Voyager. Uh, I'm forgetting what episodes exactly. And then we meet um, the guy, Malcolm something in Generations. Oh, oh no, in Generations. Yeah, he's an Alorian who like is his whole like, he needs to get back to the Nexus because it's he wants to get back to the Nexus, that like weird squiggly thing in the sky where yeah, right. everyone's yeah. happy and lives their fantasies he's an Alorian too the malcolm mcdowell character malcolm yeah, McDowell. yeah malcolm mcdowell that's not the character's Fun. name that's the actor's name yeah, yeah i was yeah, like malcolm yeah. something okay yeah yeah, yeah so we yeah we've met like yeah. a handful of other Alorians. i didn't realize they were in this that was all that's that's awesome well mm -hmm. one thing i want to talk about this scene which is just a weird acting move is that picard goes and, and sits next to the bar and then we get this it's it's a long shot it's almost like 10 seconds of Guinan walking and then walking behind the bar to be next to Picard and ends up with a nice framed shot but i thought when she was doing it that she was going to whisper something into his ear but mm -hmm. she never does she's just she's just reestablishing her control as being the bartender at 10 forward hmm. um did you guys notice that was that weird for you when i rewatched it today i watched it on um like 1.5 speed. And so I noticed that scene, but I didn't realize how slow it was because I do know she goes, voop, voop. and I was like, wait, <laughs> was that the whole shot? Her just like walking. Yeah. So yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. I did notice that. Isn't well, that such a useful <laughs> setting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always forget speed. it's there. I need to, I probably should do that more. Especially for rewatching these. And then uh, this and then this is the scene basically where we're, he, Q, Q is trying to make his point about why he should be joining the crew. They're going to need him. He's been kicked out of the Q continuum, maybe. Uh, and uh, he wants to have some good times like he did the previous two episodes, which they, you know, they name check uh, exactly what happened at Farpoint and what happens in uh, when, when, when Riker is offered the Q powers. Um, and then Picard just basically says, no, uh, I don't trust you. I don't trust even this this conversation right now. And that is really 
where the shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, yet another moment of them, Q and Guinan, talking about them as though they're not there. Because Q says, you're not ready for what's out there. And then they talk about humanity not being ready. Mm-hmm. And she says they're adaptable. They'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has his, I guess, Thanos moment of the big <laughs> snap. Uh when I love Guinan being like, no, Q, like the stop, no, trying to yeah. stop him. She well, knows he's up to something. The timing was very good there, too. I, I liked the it happening almost at the same time as the snap, just, you know. And he has the best line ever. He says, the hall is rented. The orchestra is engaged. It's now time to see if you can dance. Woo. Come the fuck on. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah, you know when line. he was reading that line, John Delance, he's like, "This yeah, is yeah. this is this, this is the line. This, this is, is the where, line. This is where I get my Golden Globe." <laughs> well, and P- Picard had one earlier too. He said, "To learn about you is frankly provocative, but the next of kin to chaos." He says, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Right? Nice. And so it's what jumped to mind when you brought that light up, Eric. Is yeah. he said provocative? Like, oh, what a great use! And then Riker uses provocative later, and I immediately thought of the Big Lebowski. He's like, "What are you using the parlance of the times, man?" Yeah, <laughs> you don't use it once and then has to. You use heard it. somebody else use a big word, oh, and now you're man. trying to drop it on the bridge. <laughs> Stop it. That's awesome. <laughs> That, that's something to- Riker would totally do. Be like, oh, Picard said <laughs> yeah. something smart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that. Another great line from Q in this scene is, uh, "Oh, Worf, uh, what do he, what do you call him? He's like micro tiny brain. micro brain. Yeah, he's like micro brain. Growl for me. Let me know you still care. <laughs> do my heart well or something. <laughs> so silly, so good. Worf gets called off a few times in this episode. That's one of them oh, too. Where Picard's yes. like, no, 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 don't beat him up quite just yet. <laughs> Well, also, like, what's Worf going to do? He's an omnipotent, like, being. Worf's not going to be able to do anything anyway. But it's, yeah, it's always like, oh, poor Worf getting just, like, always sent away. (laughs) He just wants his shot. Just give him his shot. One of these times I'm going to win a fight. Right here. (laughs) Poor guy. Punch me right here. We got to remember to talk about the other Worf moment in the engineering later. Because that's funny. Super funny, too. Yes. Uh, so I, I mean, and I also just like when the snap happens, we get that, as you said, that immediate effect. And there's something just so off-putting about the Enterprise moving in a spinning fashion. It just immediately throws you off. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I love that it's used so effectively in this. Yeah, I like that they did something almost generic. They spin it because it's really magic that's sending them mm-hmm. into the future, not a warp drive or anything that looks scientific. It's really the whim of an omnipotent being. And if they would have done a different effect, I think it would have lost that quality. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't almost make it feel like storybook in a way. Like here, now you're in another part of the world, uh, universe in the galaxy. Go check it out. Um, and I love Guinan's ending line of the scene in 10 Forward where, you know, what can you tell us about where we are? Only that mm-hmm. if I were you, I'd start back now, even though they're... And they're, they don't listen. <laughs> they don't listen. Right. Which he says in a, in a log immediately after. It's like, despite her warnings, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm glad that he logged that <laughs> she said something. So there is a record. She was like, I said it. Yep. I said it. <laughs> Send an email so at least there's a record of it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so they go to a class M planet uh, in the system where they are. It's the only one uh, that's hospitable. And then we see the callback to the neutral zone uh, that you were mentioning earlier, Jimmy, about how the cities and settlements on this planet might have been space age, might have been warp uh, uh, capable, but it looks as if they've been scooped off the surface surface of the planet. Just such like a before. good script. That description is so great. Yeah. Gary. Then they are being scanned. There's a ship coming in, and it looks like a cube. So, Kate, yeah, you were saying you had chills when oh, you yeah, saw I got this cube so ship excited. again. I, I had forgotten that it was season two. Um, I, like we've talked about it in in previous uh, podcasts, but before this rewatching of it, I had forgotten that it happens. You know, mid season two, which is just a lovely sort of place to to place this this reveal that's going to be so important to us in the seasons to come mm-hmm. i don't know i got i just got so excited i got so excited about what was gonna happen <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's a weird ship i mean so much of just all of sci-fi to this point had aerodynamic looking spaceships it's just for whatever reason that's what a ship looks like and i think this was the first time I'd ever seen something that it doesn't matter in space. There's no arrow to aerodynamic around. <laughs> it's true. It's just a vacuum. So this, uh, this blew my mind when I was a kid seeing a square cube shaped ship. I was saying, unless you're using a solar sail, there's no reason at all to have anything like that matter. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. It was mind blowing. Me too. Yeah. And it, I, it makes you think like, what we are about to find about, out about the Borg, you know, how they cannibalize humanity or uh, living things, I should say, um, and incorporate the technology. This is the design they chose. They chose the cube and then later we'll see the sphere. But they choose these very simplistic shapes that are, yeah, they don't have aerodynamics. Um, they're not designed for the purpose of going like well, yeah, I guess aerodynamics would be in air, but um, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're just like the cube and the sphere, like the simplest three dimensional shapes. That's what they chose. So it's a really interesting choice and almost terif- even more terrifying because like they don't need to do anything yeah. uh, complicated right. to to be scary and formidable. They just have a cube in space and they yeah. can still eat you alive. And it's a brilliant design choice because it it speaks to their character as a race. They don't care about the aesthetics of a ship. They're not trying to impress you or to make you afraid of their ship because of the way it is designed. It's function. Yeah. Pure mm-hmm. function. And it's that's, a brilliant design choice. That's what I got of it too. Is like it was it was designed for efficiency of what they right. were trying to do it doesn't but matter. i mean from the humans who designed it for the show oh they designed it perfectly because it gave you a lot about this race of of individuals we're going to meet uh, of this collective like right just doing a cube sh- speaks volumes about these bad guys mm-hmm. well i mean i i think it's likely also partially an homage to 2001 i mean that mm. that mm. you know form you know very yep. formed monolith with no yep. character beyond that was was terrifying at the time and there hadn't been anything like it in 30 years and then here you go or 20 years 
Yeah, and this uh, Borg ship that we see, uh, it was a three-foot square model that weighed 60 pounds. Wow. So it had some girth to it in the filming, um, uh, which also was one of the things I remember, and I remember so little about these as we go back in, but I remember how they went out of the way to show you that the Enterprise, which is a fantastically large ship, is dwarfed by the Borg cube. Um, mm -hmm. So this thing is monstrous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which in itself, just seeing that is, is frightening. Yeah, um, absolutely. That size comparison was huge. Mm -hmm. um, so then Guinan uh, goes to her ready room uh, and, and checks out this, <laughs> even though she could see it from the windows in 10 forward. It was a weird editing moment where like she could already see it, but then she goes into the thing to look at the screen to look at it again. But she's the person who names this adversary for the first time for the entire audience. I loved and that was something I did not remember was that she's the one who says they're called the Borg. And she does it in such in a matter of fact way while conveying we're fucked at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. Like speaking about her performance there, Whoopi's performance. She doesn't go, oh, no, they killed my people. She's like so calm about it. And just matter of fact, it's it's really impactful. It's a really interesting choice that she made there. And I thought it was a really smart one acting wise. Yeah, there hasn't been an episode that's come up where we have not talked at length about Whoopi Goldberg's subtlety as an actor and mm. how it, uh, it makes every scene so much better than a lesser actor mm -hmm. would do with the exact same words. Yeah, she does so much with so little. Yeah. She's and especially in this scene, because it's so expository, like she just has mm -hmm. to get out the information. You know, it's not quite the techno babble that, that Jordy or Data have to grapple with. But it's I mean, it's hard to say that in a way that feels dramatic without being like, this is the information you want me to give. OK, Borg. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, this uh, ends with a transport into the engineering and LaForge sees a Borg for the first time and they look funky. Eric, this is our amazing guest star, isn't it? This is. This is this is one Tim Trella, who is a legendary, legendary stuntman and a stunt coordinator in Hollywood. And this is towards the beginning of his career. He had done a couple of uh, movies and a couple of TV shows, mostly as a stuntman, uh, a couple of co-stars with some lines. Um, but at this point in his career, like his next credit on IMDb is the supervising stunt co coordinator for the next Transformers movie. Mm. So that is where he went from from being the first face of a Borg uh, that, that Star Trek uh, fans the world over got to see. He is now probably the most in-demand stunt coordinator there is. I'm going to read a little bit and only a little bit of his career highlights. All right, so he was a Matrix Resurrection stunt performer. Whoa. That's that's the one he most recently did, but as a performer who wouldn't suit up for that. He was the coordinator for Denzel's The Little Things, which had some wonderful uh, violence in it. He did The Babysitter and its sequel because he does all genres. Mm. He does super funny and super not funny. 
Um, he did the whole Lethal Weapon TV series. He did that Invasion movie with Kidman Craig. These are all coordinator gigs, by the way, not performer. Super Bad, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, People vs. Larry Flint, Kingpin, Shakes the Clown. He is always working in the stunt department or on screen as a double in things like the genre classics you might have heard about, like Titanic, Serenity. Uh, he was the principal stunt driver for Vin Diesel in several of the Fast and Furious movies. What? Army of Darkness, what? Last of the Mohicans, Doll Man. A little thing called V.I. Warchowski, if you remember. <laughs> the Giver. Do you know The Giver? If you don't, some of the most amazing violence in film history. Both Drive and Drive Angry in 2011, which <laughs> I think is even cooler than doing both Dante's Peak and Volcano in 1997. By the way, he was in wow. Volcano in 1997, <laughs> but not Dante's Peak. <laughs> Eve of Destruction. Lombada. Dark Man. Several Lethal Weapon TV shows, mom, or uh, movies, Mom and Dad Save the World, The Cowboy Way, Natural Born Killers, Money Train, of course you get by now, he's Woody Harrelson's principal stunt double, From Dusk Till Dawn, Fled, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Baby, wow. The Game, Blade, Rush Hour, Star Trek Insurrection, Virus, End of Days, Cecil B. Demented, Ghost of Mars, The Last Castle, Spy Kids 2, The Triple X Movies, Old School, he was a stunt double in the original Matrix, Terminator 3, Crank, Tenacious D, Planet Terror, License to Wed, Iron Man, Indiana Crystal Skull, Wanted, Inglorious Bastard, Zombieland, Expendables, Glee, Abraham Lincoln, The Vampire Hunter, The Avengers, Winter Soldier, Fantastic Four, and Westworld. And still, if that were me, I would lead with being the first <laughs> Borg any of us ever saw. <laughs> That's that incredible. Is that career. is insanely impressive. The fact that you did that all in one breath. I wish you would have ended on Spy Kids too. <laughs> did he? Did yeah. that guy ever not work? Like, did he ever take any time off? Jeez, how did I he? Don't, how... I don't see a, any gap on IMDb. That's <laughs> incredible. Wow. No. I hope he has a so nice retirement. Thank you, Tim Trella, for all the joy. What's he doing now? What's he doing now? Is he still working? Yeah, he's yeah. He's doing the, he's the, movie. the next trans the next Transformers movie. Oh, he's wow. the stunt coordinator, and he's one of the guys on screen in the new Matrix movie. Wow, that's fantastic! I love that you could probably put that those credits to like a uh, "We Didn't Start the Fire" type of uh, <laughs> cadence. Yeah, and it would totally work. All right, get to it, Auto Tune people. I love uh, that his look is so weird in this. Uh, I don't remember, you know, the, the what, what it felt like when I first watched this, but I remember being terrified. But looking back, I do realize like, oh, there's a lot of wires and things uh, that are very hard, but they're really just wearing, you know, long johns underneath. <laughs> well, they're doing a little bit more than long johns. They actually pillaged uh, some of the costumes from the dune movie and the batman movie to put some of these board costumes together really? and that makes question so much sense. for you how much do you think the forearm thing that he scans with wade hmm. oh oh no i thought you were gonna say cost and i was gonna say no, 20 wade. 25 000. how much do you think it weighed uh, 15 pounds 15 like from 20, eric 20, 20 from eliza I was going to guess like, I'll guess 22. <laughs> 22. <laughs> closest, closest without going over wins. 
25. So far, 25 <laughs> is our winner. That's... Not close, though. It what? was 40 pounds. No. Holy shit. 40 pounds is what that weighed. And no, that's why they you. had to get the best stuntman in the history of cinema, because not wow. everyone could wear that damn thing. And lift it wow. multiple times for multiple And I shots. thought it was comically. Like, the wow. first time, when it came on, when I was rewatching it yesterday, I was like, that's way too big. Well, can <laughs> it, I it can is, I talk yeah. about that? Can I talk about the fall he does then? I had mm. no idea. I was already impressed with the fall. Oh, the yeah. The guy, I've been teaching falls this week. So the guy has this 40-pound thing in his arm that he has to do a complete little, like he does a, a very strange, long seizure. And then the fall is immediate. It's a backfall without any fucking uh, delay it's just he's standing then he's on his back and that 40 pound thing is still up in yeah. the air mm. and still like because he's dead and it's just the very end of it that's moving i'm like that's impressive dude okay thanks jimmy i needed that yeah. info that is wow. impressive i love that that little motor thing gets uh, almost yeah. more screen time than, his, than <laughs> this guy's face does <laughs> It's so good. Which, and I like. I don't begrudge for where they were in 1989 with that. I would love to have seen what they would do with those outfits now. Um, mm. Just because of where we are in our technology and understanding of it and, and all of that, like how much more the Borg look could improve. And it does. Yeah, I guess we haven't in the, like in uh, Picard. We haven't. We've seen a lot of ex Borg. Right. But we haven't seen any actual Borg, huh? Except maybe right. in the sconces, like, did they even have them? Or were they empty? Now I got to go back and watch Picard and see if we Yeah, can... and they, did they have it in Disco or is that Picard where we I have the just... whole Romulan thing? That was Picard? That's Picard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So last uh -huh. time we saw Borg in the, in, the, in the series is First Contact, right? Yeah. Like actually functioning Borg. So yeah, we should go. I mean, because they definitely look better with movie budget uh, mm. going on. <laughs> um, but you know this what I love about this scene too is that there's very little dialogue like it is very much like letting us the audience be just as mystified by this performance of uh, what is it Tim Sweeney what was his name again Trella Tim Trella. Trella. Yes, Trella. Oh, hold on, you. though. Didn't you want to talk about something Worf did in Engineers? Yes. Oh, yes. This is the moment. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> Picard oh. goes, Worf. Worf goes, Ensign. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he outsourced. Passing he the buck. <laughs> I remember the delegation. And then the ensign just goes down immediately. So fast. <laughs> That is my favorite moment. Yes. Oh, it's so funny. Mm. It's just so good. I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but it's funny. Right. <laughs> it's like what we were talking about earlier. Like, these are funny people. How yeah. could they not have known? They, <laughs> like... Someone must have done that on purpose. That that moment is just brilliant. <laughs> Worf? Ensign? I love <laughs> that, that uh, Tim Trello is just like, meh, I'm going to keep going at this thing. You're going to anger at me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, beam this thing. Uh, and so, yeah, he gets phasered and does the seizure, falls down. And, and Worf has to put it on kill. That's the he, next he one. He doesn't, the oh, stun right. doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ensign goes down and the stun doesn't get him, get the Borg, the, but kill knocks him down. Right, right. Uh, does the fall and then we get an immediate another Borg mm -hmm. uh, show up. The weird thing about that, I mean, I, there's a, a couple other things that happen, right, with the shields and, and all that. Uh, but the 
terrifying thing for me as a kid watching this was that they just took the parts that were the most valuable off mm. of them. Yeah. Uh, mm. And then went back to the ship. Um, oh, snap. I didn't even realize that. That And that would just felt so weird and strange to me. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, like going through the pockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. This bad guy is one of my favorite bad guys in cinematic universes because there's no showboating. There's not a bunch of talk like the Fringy, the Romulans, especially <laughs> just love to tell you how scary they are. So uh, evil. Yeah. And, you know, these guys just do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And to themselves, like you're saying, the simple act of taking what's yeah. valuable and leaving. Oh, and they don't leave him. Then they they also beam him away because that's a resource. Like that's mm-hmm. that's scary. That is scary for sure. And then that weird outline on the of the carpet. I mean, he's stained <laughs> the carpet. That's not cool. And it's it's interesting. You you talked about. Uh, well, first of all, Q can get that. But it's interesting that you talk about them taking him away to be the the body away to be a resource because I I think that rings true but it also to me rang true that they wouldn't want them to be studied oh yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. that's probably it actually that's better they didn't thank you they don't just leave them yeah. laying around their pieces right, right. Um, I want to go back to the shield real quick yeah because speaking of dune recycling mm. having just rewatched dune like a month or two ago the shield that like uh that it looks very much like the dune shields it has like a almost boxy shape to it mm, and yeah. some like flat dimensions mm. yeah but yeah that's it <laughs> no i love those those battle shields in dune are so cool they they, they hold up very well Mm-hmm. It's such a cool way too to 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 broach the subject of oh hey by the way they evolve real fast yeah they learn without mm-hmm. having to say it without mm-hmm. Guinan having to tell us without like it's just this immediate oh shit things are about to get a lot harder yeah there's a lot in this episode that's just really great exposition like showing instead of telling yeah agreed um, and it, to call back a little bit to that earlier episode in the jungle or yep. the planet that has the the arsenal of freedom I think it's called. Uh, Star Trek acid trip? Yeah, Star Trek acid trip. That's <laughs> the party. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, right. That's what the whole, that whole episode is about. And they just kind of showed it here without having to rehash that. But mm-hmm. I also just want to talk about Delancey coming in here and this being the, I'm going to appear and be the devil on your shoulder mm-hmm. to Picard. It's so he's creepy. Just a little, he's just a little goader, just like yeah. goading them on. Just He is so petty. he did this he put them in harm's way their entire species in harm's way because he's mad they didn't want him on the ship Mm. that's so petty that's messed up yeah changed up their entire history because uh picard said no yeah and also i mean q is never q isn't super consistent except in his overall just like i'm chaotic (laughs) um (laughs) but Oh, no, I forgot what I was going to say. It was something. Oh, I know. It's about the evolution thing. Like a couple of scenes before he's saying to Guinan, they're moving too fast too soon. And then he throws them in the path of the Borg before they were supposed to be. So it's like he only really it seems like I mean, Q is obviously very self-serving. 
But it, it especially feels that way in this episode because he's like, I didn't get my way, so now I'm going to really put you through it to prove a point. And and I think he, he must know that Picard is never going to agree with him or acquiesce. So now he's just like trying to hurt him. <laughs> like... Just or so he wants petty. to put him in a situation he knows he will have to acquiesce. He will need him. Like, yeah. Even just that one like, little acquiescence yeah. is enough You don't for think Q. you need me, but mm-hmm. I'll show you you do. Yeah. It's those it's those eldritch god characters, right? Mm. Like it's not it's not terrifying because of how different from us they are. It's terrifying because they have the same irrationalities that we do, but so much more power. Mm. And like God, Q is just so terrifyingly charming and interesting to watch for that reason, I feel like. Mm-hmm. He's Zeus or, you know. Hermes or, yeah, right? Like, he's, yeah. Um, so they go to conference room. Uh, Guinan is invited there. She gives some more exposition about uh, the, the Borg and her people. Um, and uh, the interesting part about this scene is that uh, we get a, a call from the Borg and we hear them <laughs> speak for the first time, they say two sentences. What are they? Yeah, what, what <laughs> I, I was hoping say? somebody else had them. Uh, they, I forgot. They didn't say resistance is futile. Not so yet, that was, right. I was looking oh, for that. We've assessed your, if you, you're if inferior. If you defend yourselves, you will mm-hmm. be punished. Yes. Yeah. They're like, we've assessed you, you're inferior. If you defend yourself, you'll be punished. Something like there that. There it is. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yikes. And that's, <laughs> and that's where Troy comes in and says that we're not dealing with one leader or any individuals at all like that was all of them talking to us uh, at once mm, terrifying once again terrifying right and that's when some of the hive mind stuff comes in and so it's interesting to me is that they were going to be evolved from from insects which mm. that uh, you know connection finally mm. makes a little bit of sense here right the one thing i would have liked to have seen or known anyways is what technology they thought was useful something that attracted them that that would have just been a nice little tidbit of they're way more advanced but there's this one thing that the the enterprise has which means the federation has and that interest the borg and so now they want that little bit i think it was Um, a bunch of old zunes see that would have been nice to know they're like what is this music stuff you got a great playlist (laughs) and then they start dancing like in star trek acid party the board dance begins. Uh, that wouldn't have been funny if you said iPod. You went with Zoom. That was that's that's comic genius, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's off. Awesome. Uh, so the board lock onto a tractor beam, and this is where we get some real firepower uh, for the first time in a while on uh, this series. Picard shoots some uh, photon torpedoes, uh, some phasers. They're trying to just get out of this tractor beam. And a couple of things happen. No, nothing really occurs. And then they let loose. Explosions happen on the surface of the Borg ship. The tractor beam goes down. And for a moment, they're kind of like, oh, all right. Well, now are we at an impasse? What happens? <laughs> and they go to, as they, as they always should in these situations, to the observation labs for another conference. <laughs> and Guinan is in attendance for this one. Well, and don't forget that the... They they cut a hole in yes. the saucer section. Corkscrew. And like did like it yeah, absolutely. It's like a an ice core sample. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of, you know, bacteria, it was eighteen people. <laughs> and Riker has that, that really disturbing line, even though he it, 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 carving us up like a roast. Mm, yeah. Ugh. Oof, that is visceral. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, 18 people uh, perish, um, and uh, they think they've got through a battle, uh, and and they're they're trying to assess what to do next. Uh, but this is the real big toll uh, to the Enterprise is that those those 18 dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, "What do we do now?" And Guyan's like, "We should get out of here." Boogie, let's go. And that's where Riker's like, "Well, we should study them some more." Because of, because of course, let's get on that ship. Of course, that's what he says. Because no one's ever been there before. (laughs) We should return the favor. Yeah, that's what he says. We should return the favor. Come on, there's confidence and there's just being cocksure, arrogant. (laughs) Yeah, you're not a little bit afraid. I mean, look what they just did. I just thought of something like they could have also just like left, but. Maybe you just transported a bore, uh, like a probe, into the ship. If they wanted to see the inside of the ship, they didn't need to physically go in person. Yeah, <sighs> silly. We do get our dream team. Our dream team is back of uh, Riker, Data, and Worf as the uh, chosen mini away team that Riker likes to go with. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> we're we're going a little long, so I'm going to try and move a little fast. But I know this is <laughs> really really great stuff here. So Eric, you let me know if uh, uh you know uh. We're going too late for you on the East Coast there. Ah, uh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going all night. Uh, Tim Trello would just keep going. That's right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so the first thing they discover is that while there's no life signs aboard the Borg ship, there is lots of Borg individuals uh, here on uh, the Borg ship. They were wrong. I- I love we get a great another great wharf moment where that one Borg is walking by them and just mm. doesn't, you know, and they realize that the Borg are essentially like either don't sense them or don't see them as a threat. And Worf seems so offended by that. Like, <laughs> basically, basically gets like shoulder checked by the Borg. Yeah. And like the look on his face is just like. That's just mm-hmm. the it's it's great. <laughs> Oof, that's a great that's a great point. Like the entire existence of the Borg must be so offensive to Klingon sensibilities. Yeah, just like there yeah. is no honor in their deaths. The way they right. kill, the way they die themselves. There's no honor in that. And then yeah, being no yeah, and also just being yeah, being like not thought of as a threat. It's like oof, mm-hmm. that must that must hurt. Klingon. And being scarier. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got to know instinctively that they don't care about poetry. I know, like, right? <laughs> they, have no they have no art. They have no art. They have no opera. It's they have no true. Shakespeare. They've not perfected the novel like Klingons have. But they're the nest, the, the first real answer to the Klingons, right? I mean, there was no other. The Klingons were the really great bad guys in um, TOS. And now finally there's a, mm-hmm. uh, an equal bad guy yep um so this is where we get a lot of information about how the hive mind works uh it's another very i mean i guess they are talking throughout this scene but i I am really more struck by the visuals and their wonder of seeing the borg walk by and going into the the uh nodule that they have to go into and what that means and that great mat shot of wait they're on this like one little deck Mm -hmm. but then you realize when they pull out that that's what this entire ship looks like Mm-hmm. That was really strange. I have a, a Borgs and the Bees question yeah. about about these babies. Yeah. And where these babies come from. Yeah. Uh, that are these babies that they find on other planets and assimilate, 
Or is it sort of, uh, it kind of feels like we're, they're leaning towards these organic materials are making organic babies. I don't know. Where do babies come from, Greg? <laughs> Where do Borg babies come from? Borgies. <laughs> well, when a Borg mom and a Borg dad love each other very much, <laughs> they... They find genetic material. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's... I, I always thought it was just... Um, like a sterile like you know they just were inseminated like right they could just find the you know i mean the egg and the sperm and then they just made the babies like you know uh, through that you know almost like uh, ibf i was thinking they grew i okay i i mean I, we know that they take over bodies right with uh, they inject people with nanoprobes and that those probes over time will build the structures and the implants and basically kill people over I don't know how long and turn them into drones. But then, yeah, the babies is very confusing. I know sometimes they found children like Annika Dane was mm -hmm. a child when they found her. Um, but then she continued growing, but still was a drone. So that's also confusing. Like, do people, are they dead or not? Are, are Borg bodies they're, they're they are dead, dead right? Or they're not? There's too many of them, like Q. Oh, that's what it was. Annika, all the Romulans in Picard that were taken over, they they get most of them get their life back. That's some true. Semblance of it. So, so they're not dead. Yeah. They're they're taken over. They become thralls almost mm -hmm. more than than uh, dead drones. Good I still don't know any idea about the baby. Thing. <laughs> like, yeah, the babies. And, I don't know. And they like, seem conscious because you can't tell a baby like, hey, act, right. act like a drone, okay? Or you're like, not getting another kid. Oh, that God, baby that was, was cute. Funny. He was like looking up. He was like, hey. Like, <laughs> he, was, he was alive and he was, he was thinking or she, they, I don't know what it was. But, uh, they didn't seem drony. Yeah. So, and, yeah, either they found the babies right. or they grew them. But it feels like maybe they just found them, right? Yeah, why would they grow them? Yeah. It seems really inefficient. It seems inefficient for them right? to grow babies. <laughs> you know, but they they can just like got to do a nursery. There's gonna be crying. Like, yeah, there I mean, is... they've probably got a farm oh, planet. Voyager. Okay, yeah. we should cross reference Voyager because there definitely is an episode that I recently watched. It must be in season five. I think that's where I am right now, where they either find a Borg baby or they. F oh, that's what it was. I think. They find a Borg baby and then it grows up super quick. Oh. So ah. I, th I think they have some type of, if they find a baby, they put the nanoprobes in it and maybe there's some other type of thing they do to make it grow faster. So it's like, it can they can use it as a drone. They accelerate it that way. Yeah, that I think sense. that's what it was. I'm gonna look that up actually. In answer to your question, Kate, I don't think it's an either or though. I don't think it is they only take people or they only grow things. I think they just, it's like mm -hmm. another resource to them. It's just biological material. And if they just subjugated a planet and they got a whole bunch of sub, you know, uh, people that they can turn into them, great. But if they don't for a while, then they can grow their own as mm. need be. Um, that's what I was, that's what I got from it. But that, <laughs> do you, what, why are you the, laughing to me? The, well, I'm just trying to think how do babies contribute to the hive mind? And like, do they just fall asleep sometimes? Like go, go. They're, they're about to attack people and suddenly they're like, <laughs> pooping themselves like they keep them in those drawers for a lot longer than you think they do i love that even just from this first thing there are so many questions about how this uh you know kind of uh, antagonist operates and seeing a baby with wires coming out of it is also just a very viscerally uh, unsettling image 
Um, and that's when they, they start to realize like, oh, the um, ship seems to be repairing itself. Picard immediately pulls him out smartly uh, from there and tries to leave. And uh, that's where we get this little bit of a chase uh, in the next act here where they're trying to get away. Um, but the ship, had, you know, the board ship has healed itself enough to, to go very fast and follow them. And Q basically says they will follow you forever. Mm-hmm. They will run you down. As he is lounging, lounging on the floor around the curve of that walkway. And it's just delicious. He eats it up, chews oh. up the scenery, literally. Yeah. I'm going to have to start asking directors if I can mold myself around the furniture more. Like, that. <laughs> why, don't, yeah. why don't I take advantage Same. of that more often? Same. Why, why yeah. ask for permission? I say... No, ask exactly. For forgiveness. Just do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a thousand percent. I feel like that's what John Delancey did, and they were like, "Okay, you, you're the only one who can walk on the the scenery." Well, they have a great moment too, where continually throughout this scene, Q switches seats with people. Yes, mm-hmm. and he switches seats with Data, and for a hot second, Data is curled up in that little, <laughs> and he's so confused as to how he got there, and it's just gorgeous. It is good. And there's this uh, episode does not have a lot of data in it, uh, which is odd since mm-hmm. it is very, you know, Android uh, cybernetically focused. That's Androidism, Greg. That's <laughs> Androidism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he gets a lot more uh, attention from the board queen later on. But uh, mm-hmm. for this, he is not very, you know, active Holy in this story. Uh, yes, and this is where we get that speech from Q. It's like, they, you can't outrun them. You know, they are relentless. And it's, it's this threat that seems like it is the, the continuation of the pettiness from that 10 forward scene uh, that, that you were mentioning before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but also a little bit of, you know, it, absolutely pettiness from him. It, it, but we see a bit of the arrogance reflected back at the, the human race. You know, like you always get out of it. You think you can beat anything just because you say it Mm -hmm. because in your heart you think you can. But there's some things you just can't. There's some challenges you cannot rise to, at least yet. And we're going to make you eat that and and swallow it whole. I mean, it was kind of fun to see them get some comeuppance. And it is a a, a very much a... um antithesis to what the star trek and the federation is all about too right like it is all about this positivity and like oh we can be a better people in the 24th century that was what gene roddenberry's whole thing was all about and then it's very interesting to have the villains be like yeah no you can't uh and so after being taunted by q picard has that great speech of of you know you you wanted me to say this i'm gonna say it you know you wanted me to say that that we need you we need you fine uh, what did you guys think of this performance by by Patrick Stewart here? Knocked it out of the park. It's mm-hmm. great. And this cue. Yeah. 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 Just fed up. Simple. And it's very it's very uh, vulnerable. Without, um, I don't know. He handles the vulnerability of that moment with with mixing it with the rage of the moment really well. You know, because there's a certain amount of, you know, bending down and and onto one knee to sort of say, fine, you were right, you were right. Um, But there's still this quiet rage within him that is very satisfying. Yeah, Kate, like you were saying, I love the way he uh, acquiesced because, you know, he was totally wrong. 
18 people lost their life. They shouldn't have been in this situation. They didn't ask. They didn't antagonize this adversary. Um, and yet they need help from somebody they don't want to uh, ask help from. And uh, it's that perfect. The, the actor played it perfectly with um, uh, eating crow while spitting out the feathers. It mm. was mm. just a lot of fun to watch. Mm. And it was the, probably my favorite Q episode up till now because he was a different type of bad guy in this. He was uh, he was he was almost charming, but always very dangerous. And it's mm-hmm. it's fun to see uh, 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 bad guys portrayed in different ways. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point about cause we see this diff like another shade of Q, and even just like even though it's a little bit of a throwaway and it just leads us into the story, the fact that they mention he got kicked out of the continuum that sets us up for later Q. Like we find out more about the Q continuum and what literally what that is and what it's like. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So that one line, yeah, just like opens up the the mystery of Q to further stories there. Yeah, no, that's it. It's that is cool because of you don't have to give us the whole Q outlook in one episode. It's really nice to just give little tiny mm-hmm. little pieces as you're building this the this world of uh, of people. For and we see that with Guinan, we see it with Q, the Borg. Like is all these tidbits, Data. little yeah. little tidbits that that add up until you get to Voyager where they just go crazy with the Borg. <laughs> What do you guys? Th- I've just been toying with this idea since watching this, and then talking it over with you guys. That this relationship of Picard and Q is a little bit like a well, it's an abusive relationship, right? Where I almost see Q as the you know the drunk guy waving around a gun at a party, and then everyone's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like, what, you, you, what do you? We'll tell you anything you want to hear. Stop waving that gun around, uh, and that context makes this feel just even like you see dangerous. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, it feels so volatile, but it's played, mm-hmm. it's played for pettiness and comedy. It's not played mm-hmm. for, for that type of thing. So yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I think it, um, I think it's smart that they did that, that, that Delancey brings this kind of levity to him because if they had gone the other way, I think it would have been Star Wars. <laughs> it would have been, this is Darth Vader. He's very dangerous and scary and serious. But by making him kind of this like uh, imp, you know, <laughs> a, a fool, a, a court jester who's super powerful, they kind of give us a nice, uh, just a different dichotomy for the bad guy. And and also set him up to also not, a, not always be the bad guy, weirdly. What were you going to say, Eric? Well, um, it's just it's very interesting, too, that outside of James Bond, kind of in Hollywood history, uh, the Brits are bad guys, you know, mm. and with with this one, you get Captain in this scene. It's always fun to see uh, a British uh, actor going toe to toe with the American actor and the American is full on the bad guy hmm. um, at, at this time in particular. That was pretty rare. Wow. I, I never thought of that. And ironic, you bring that analogy up, seeing that Rami Milik is a bad guy in the latest uh, James Bond. Is it John Delancey Canadian? Does that still does that still work now? North American, American North American. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Q is 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 noticeably impressed that Picard acquiesced the way he did. He's like, "Whoa, I didn't 
I didn't think you were going to do that. I thought I was just going to have to blow you up. All right, well, snaps again. And Wesley has this great line of like, numbers, numbers, numbers. We're back where we started from. <laughs> and here's a question. Do you think this episode, uh, it, there's obviously a change in cue. Like he, he's different moving forward. Yeah. Um, do you think they chose to make him different because of the Borg or because he had already been on twice now and the character really did need to go a different direction? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I also hearken it back to we we found out a couple episodes ago the um, uh, Times Squared episode uh, was meant to be uh, the first reintroduction of Q and that right. he was the one who was manipulating that vortex that the uh, thing was going through. So I almost wonder if it's Maurice Hurley wanted it to have that type of arc to it, but they just had to truncate it into just this episode. Yeah. I wonder if they would have brought in the same kind of lines because he really is a lot more fun. But because of who we've seen before, he's always dangerous. No yeah. matter how much fun he's doing and lounging around, and that gives it a, a, a almost a Tarantino kind of bad guy where it's, um, I'm having fun. I love the menacing. It, it actually relaxes me. This is like Friday at 5 p.m. for me. Um, <laughs> We're going to put on Steeler's wheel and cut off some ears. This is going to yeah. be great. <laughs> it's just fun, you know? It's like uh, Eric and I, it, it, during the, the Lazy Mises podcast, we would talk about Game of Thrones, the, the homogeny of bad guys. Like, they all looked the same. Yeah. The same middle-aged white guy, bad guy. They were all the same. Black leather you know, talk low. It was like, it's just fun to see a, a different kind of bad guy. And especially with Game of Thrones, because they could have had it with, with Hoet, but they cut it out. Anyways, back to <laughs> we'll shake our fist at Game of Thrones another time. Um, but we have this great you know, ending they scene. Have dragons, they could have done whatever they wanted. They could have done anything. I know. But uh, they, and I love the way this episode ends, because it's a very quiet, contemplative scene with Guinan and Picard playing, uh, what is it? Four, four dimensional Six chess squares. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it is this great line of this idea. Like, well, maybe, maybe Q did this awful thing uh, and it's going to help us out. Right. Like maybe he did the right thing for the wrong reasons because they now know, you know, just what you were saying uh, uh, before Jimmy, like, you know, the humans got their comeuppance and we're going to, we're going to be up against uh, the wall here. And then the, the other side of that sword is, now that the Borg is aware of their existence this much earlier, they're going to be coming for them that much sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I like the end that it is that the Picard checks me kind of too at the end. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, so we'll move to you, Eric, for final thoughts on Q who I give it 10 out of 10 stunt performers. I love this episode. I think it's fantastic. Top to bottom. Again, those scenes that have John Delancey, Patrick Stewart, and Whoopi Goldberg at the top of their game. Three people, you know, no props, just dialogue and and spatial relationships. It's a delight to watch. 10 out of 10. Jimmy, what do you think? Uh, Well, I disagree with Eric um, in that I won't give it 10 out of 10 stuntmen 
I'm going to give a 10 out of 10 obnoxiously long Borg forearms. <laughs> uh, this is an amazing episode. Uh, I went on Den of Geeks. I read a bunch of the of what other people have thought. And there's a lot of people who didn't think this is a very good episode. They didn't think there was um, a, a good enough storyline. Well, they're plot. wrong. Yeah, they, they are absolutely wrong. are wrong. I know I, I, I roundly disagree <laughs> with them uh, because this gives us the setup for one of the best bad guys mm-hmm. ever. I mean, this is like right up there with Darth Vader level of bad guy. Um, and you have to slow roll that. You can't give us a B plot that is so enticing that we want to know what's going on. So it's great to have Selena Gomez as <laughs> B plot because it, it doesn't matter. It's nice to have fluff when you know what's coming up is this gigantic, scary cube. And it's sci-fi. It's a hive mind. It's technology taking over the world and gobbling <laughs> stuff up. You know, like Omegatron and... and uh, Transformers devouring worlds. I mean, this is science fiction, mm-hmm. and I was giddy the whole time I watched this because <laughs> it was it was so good. I just I couldn't get enough of this episode. It is amazing. Clone, it's, it's, it's on the Mount Rushmore of Star Trek for me right now. Damn. I love it. I love it. And it is Unicron, and I'm glad that you were in the middle of eating when you said that twice. Kate, I have to interrupt Jimmy. Like, come on. Orson Welles, it, the voice. That's all I remember. Orson Welles. Orson that's Wells. true. Yeah, just tell it. Orson Welles, super role. true. The planet devouring uh, <laughs> robot. Kate, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to give it 10 torso spilled hot chocolates. <laughs> uh, for all of the reasons that have been that have been stated. It's just... Uh, it's just and as far as world building goes and where it's going to take us uh, and as far as the wonderful little crumbs that we get of who is Guinan and who is Q and what is that. It's just a delicious episode. Um, and we get some, you know, hot chocolate torso. So I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 Worf sending an ensign to do his job. <laughs> 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 uh yeah it's a everything you all said it's it's a great episode it's brilliant if it brings in the best bad guy ever uh bad guys plural <laughs> ever um Guinan is wonderful and Whoopi Goldberg is beautiful and brilliant and Patrick Stewart is yummy and it's just a great episode um also one thing I just wanted to note um uh, Jordy is the first uh, crew member here to actually see the Borg mm. and I don't know if that makes him the first Starfleet officer or Federation maybe not Federation member but he might be the first Starfleet officer to oh. have met the Borg face to face maybe unless there's some weird like Voyager this person was in the Delta Quadrant a hundred years ago time. there yeah. are weird right. in the past uh, I don't know if it's apocryphal or canon stuff because uh, Zephron Cochran or whatever his name is he actually met the board he did well in yeah. first contact i guess right oh and, oh i thought yeah. you meant before that i was like what got it yeah and there's i guess a story where he That's in true. an acceptance speech at princeton drunkenly tells everybody that uh it, his invention almost was uh destroyed by a future race bent on eating up our technology and destroying us but we were saved by ourselves from the future and everyone kind of <laughs> remembers oh it's like what 
Drugs. <laughs> well, I am going to agree with all of you. I think this is a fantastic episode. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 very adorable Borg babies. <laughs> just want to give him a hug. He's so cute. Uh, I loved, you're right, Jimmy, about having there be this uh, uh, Ensign Gomez, kind of the every man person, uh, you know, uh, being affected by what's occurring here uh, works really well with the high stakes of um, Patrick Stewart and John Delancey just delivering these these great performances. And there's a lot of quietness in this episode, too, which I really appreciate. I like that we're just shown how this uh, species operates and that's creepy enough just to witness it. Uh, and I'm glad they went over budget $50,000 on the ship, on the prosthetics, on the costumes. And uh, I just love also that we get another starring kind of bit by Guinan. I wish we listened to her a little bit more. Uh, and uh, I wish that uh, we got more storyline uh, behind them. But, you know, that wish might come true one day. So very excited to learn uh, about uh, Aliza and your storyline and yes. thank you so much for being a big part of uh talking about this fantastic episode uh thank you Eliza. um how can people get in touch with you know you find out more about your projects what you're doing yeah thank you so much for having me um i uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at Elisa pearl a-l-i-z-a-p-e-a-r-l and um yeah, that might be the best place to find me. I do a lot of stuff. I I don't even know where to begin to talk about everything I do. So just follow me on on those things and you'll see the things and I'll send you links or I'll I'll post the links. I won't individually send them to everyone. <laughs> hey, drop your podcast again. Oh yeah. Uh, I am a host of one of one of the co-hosts of Women at Warp. Um, so that. you can find us everywhere you find podcasts and we are an intersectional feminist Star Trek podcast. Yes. Intersectional podcast. <laughs> cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. And we can't wait to get to all the other uh, amazing parts of the Star Trek universe, including uh, uh, all the Guinan episodes that you mentioned yes. and Q episodes and Borg episodes to come. And we'd love to have you back. I would love to come back. And I'm very excited for your, your rewatch. This is awesome. The way that y'all are doing this. So enjoy. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. We're having a ball. And I think this episode is the reason why I decided to do it. Because I was like, man, I didn't realize that Q introduced the Borg. What? Mm. I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> and so it spawned, like, let's go back and see how it all spun out again. And I'm yeah. so glad we're on this journey. Thank you all. And thanks, Eric, for staying up to it's almost midnight. Hmm. Yeah. I love y'all. <laughs> I love the Star Trek. <laughs> Thank you for having me as always. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage. <laughs>